Inside the Groove is a podcast which takes a song by Madonna every episode and dissects its creative process, examining the songwriting, the production and the recording. By playing you the demos, the studio sessions and isolated tracks, including Madonna's vocals, sometimes along with previously unheard takes, we explain how Madonna has been behind some of the biggest moments in pop history over the past 40 years. Secret was the lead single from Madonna's sixth studio album, Bedtime Stories, and was released on 27th of September 1994. It heralded a new sound for the singer, in some ways a reaction to the backlash that she had incurred for her erotica era, but also simply a case of keeping up with the new trends in music. House music had run its course, at least for the time being, and whilst the UK would turn to 60s-inspired guitar rock, the music from the US would become more R&B flavoured, although curiously also inspired by things that happened in the UK. There we go. <laughs> but Madonna, being Madonna, would work with the best in the business, and the music on Bedtime Stories would be warm, well-produced and critically well-received. She had also learned by this point that there was much to be gained by working with fresh, upcoming talent who were eager and keen and had something to prove. It was time for a change, and this meant changing the way that she worked. Secret proved to be the perfect introduction to this new direction. The song began life as a track with Shep Pettibone, who had produced the erotica album, but when Madonna decided to take a new musical path, she turned to Atlanta-based producer Dallas Austin. I'll be discussing how that relationship came about. Secret would be a top five hit in many countries on its release, not quite the chart success she had previously attained. It may have reached number one in Canada, but it only climbed to 29 in Germany, a country which had previously embraced her. Whilst her fans had never deserted her, Madonna had to rebuild her public persona, and Secret was merely the first step in this direction. Conscious of her foothold in the dance music scene, Madonna would release a total of eight remixes for the song, including a sped-up version remixed by Junior Vasquez. I'll be discussing those mixes and also talking about the time-stretching technique which began being used around this time. And I'll also talk a little bit about the video which was directed by Melody McDaniel and shot in Harlem. With its dramatic look, the promo became another mini-movie in the vein of some of Madonna's big 80s videos, and I'll be discussing the story behind its making, and even the reshoots when it was decided to change the singer's look after the first day of filming. Madonna would look to new technology to help her connect with the audience, and this would be the first project to be promoted via the internet, just five years since the World Wide Web was invented. Recording a special message for AOL, the song would be premiered online and I'll be playing you her typically humorous introduction. With other projects taking up Madonna's time throughout the mid-90s, it would be seven long years before she treated us fans to a live version of the song. And I've got some rare audio of Madonna rehearsing it for the Drowned World Tour. That's going to be for patrons. Stay tuned to hear more about that. Secret is one of those songs that invokes feelings of nostalgia even on its first listen. This is entirely down to Madonna's beautiful top-line melody, especially in the verse. Growing up listening to Motown left its mark on the singer, and whilst it might be a slow burner, the song is an absolute favourite for fans, simply for its stunning tune and laid-back production. 
Strangely, it seems largely forgotten by the general public, so it feels like the right time to turn our attention to one of Madonna's strongest songs in a career of highlights. So sit back, relax, as I help you find the reasons why and take you by surprise as we go Inside the Groove. I'm Edward Russell. I really love Secret and I particularly enjoy Madonna's voice on it. It seems that I say that about every song and I know that there are a bunch of guys from New York who get together to listen to the podcast and laugh each time I say that because it seems to be almost every episode. They've let me know on Instagram. Hi Alex. (laughs) But there are some people who seem to think I'm constantly talking down Madonna. Well, I'm not. But it's true that I will be honest about what she gets right and occasionally gets wrong. If you're expecting to hear an adulterated praise from Madonna for the next 25 minutes, then you've come to the wrong place. I want to take Madonna seriously, something that has rarely happened in her career. And taking her seriously means being subjective where possible. I mean, if you can ever be truly subjective about art. I've always been a little bit wary about covering songs where no multi-track or demo recording exists, as that's at the heart of the series. But some songs are such rich works of art that there is a lot to be discovered and discussed, and Secret is a perfect example of that. Plus, we do have Madonna's naked a cappella vocal recordings to listen to, so there's a lot to talk about, but setting the scene for Secret means also taking a look back to one of the more difficult periods in Madonna's career. She began work on her sixth studio album at the start of 1994, following the gruelling girly show tour which, though shorter than its predecessor Blonde Ambition, took the singer further around the globe than ever and was also highly physically demanding with its reliance on gymnastic moves. The erotica period, much loved by fans, had a disastrous effect on Madonna's career in the US. With worldwide album sales of 6 million, it can hardly be called a flop and would be a jewel in the crown of most recording artists. However, its sales were less than half of its predecessor, Like a Prayer, at 15 million, itself down 10 million from the album before that. And she reduced the number of dates for the Goldie Show in the US because there wasn't the demand. There's, I guess, a dichotomy in America, and it's still in existence today, whereby its sexually progressive and permissive society remains kind of hidden behind the moral majority, to use a phrase common around the time of Erotica's release. And a movement by the founder of Parents Music Resource Centre, Tipper Gore, had blasted many artists who used language in their records which was deemed immoral. The use of such language and themes in Madonna's album, along with the accompanying book Sex, had created a backlash against the singer, which in turn meant that her records were being pulled from many radio stations, especially in the more right-wing south of the US. While we can look back 30 years and see quite clearly that this was nothing more than hypocrisy and sexism, some taboos that Madonna helped to break, there was a very real effect on Madonna's career in terms of both record sales and, of course, the tour. 
So Madonna not only reduced the number of concerts in the US, but she also chose to open outside of America, saying that she wanted to confront her critics by starting in the territories where she had the most enemies. Well, that was just blatant piece of spin. The UK and Europe did not have the backlash against her that was held in her home country. And while the show continued to have provocative themes, it was very well received in the far more permissive continent. Now, despite its success, it was an angry Madonna who began recording the new album early in 1994. In a shocking interview with David Letterman in the March, Madonna filled the airwaves with expletives, and even her greatest defenders would fail not to cringe at some of her antics in this particular appearance. And whilst I watch it today, cheering at the YouTube screen for her defiance, I'm also old enough to be aware that the world was very different in 1994, and had Madonna not made some bold decisions to change her conduct, we probably wouldn't still be talking about her today. Secret was one of a handful of songs that Madonna had began recording with Shep Pettibone. In this case, it was known then as Something's Coming Over Me. That's the registration with the US Copyright Office, which happened in 1994. Madonna, of course, then took it to Dallas, Austin, and I can only assume that she felt that none of Shep's work was still in it because he wasn't originally credited for the song. He must have complained at some point, or his representatives too, and he has since had a credit for it. I've never heard something's coming over me, but somebody that has says, This version does not have the downbeat guitar R&B vibe of the song. During the unique bridge of the unreleased demo, the music drops out and Madonna speaks, I see your love coming down. Then the bass and the drum back up in a club anthem style where she sings, Something's coming over me. So it seems as if she was originally going for the sexual metaphor that she later dropped. Whilst we may never hear that unfinished work, indeed it seems unlikely, unless Madonna herself ever decides to share it, we do know about the process of her working with Atlanta-based songwriter and producer Dallas Austin. Their relationship started when Madonna called Austin's studio and his security guard said to the producer, somebody's pretending to be Madonna and they'll be on the phone for you. Huh? said Dallas, but the person called back a few times and eventually he took the call. She said, Dallas? and immediately he knew it was her. Apparently, her manager had talked with his manager and gave the studio number. Strangely, he didn't think of telling his client that the biggest pop star in the world wanted to speak with him, but there you go. Madonna said she wanted to come to Atlanta to meet the producer. They did meet and she praised his work and suggested he come out to Miami and California to meet the people she was also working with. His first stop was to LA to visit Madonna's castle that she actually owned then and she had painted in burgundy and yellow stripes, according to Dallas. Madonna wasn't there but had invited Dallas to stay. She had warned him that she was sure that the place had a ghost and she also said that she felt it was a female ghost because it threw her shoes around the room. He was kind of blown away by the castle though when he got there. Huge rooms and big castle doors and castle tables as he described it. He and his colleague Dave sat on a bed watching TV, excited about everything, couldn't quite believe where they were and what they were going to do. Eventually, they decided to go downstairs and there were these big, big, heavy castle doors to the bedroom. When they walked out, it just slammed shut behind them. Impossibly heavy doors just slamming shut like that. The housekeeper said, oh, that's the ghost. She's just mad you're here. 
so he left. But eventually they started working together and it was around the time Madonna was dating Tupac and you may be aware of her relationship with him. But of course, Madonna brought an attention to Dallas and to Atlanta that hadn't happened before. He would go on to work with people like Mick Jagger and Stevie Nicks, but he actually feels that this is the start of what would be an East Coast-West Coast rivalry that happened on the music scene from the 1990s onwards. Now, as I said, we don't have a demo or a multi-track to listen to, and the only real variation that we have, apart from an instrumental version, is a version of the song which starts with the beat rather than just the guitar. Was this the original version? Did they decide to make a change? Was it a radio edit, an album version? I don't know. But it does offer an insight to an alternate of the work that she did with Dallas, something that she hasn't otherwise really spoken about. So let's have a little listen to that now, because it's a nice curiosity. So rather than having the soft intro, it's got drums all the way through it. Let's listen to the vocals. It took me much too long to understand how it could be until you shared your secret with me. Something's coming over. Mm-hmm. Something's coming over. Mm-hmm. Something's coming over me. My baby's got a secret. Buried in the mix are some brilliant harmonies. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Something's coming over. Mm-hmm. Something's coming over. Mm-hmm. Something's coming over me. My baby's got a secret. Mm-hmm. Something's coming over. Mm-hmm. Something's coming over. Mm-hmm. Something's coming over me. My baby's got a secret. Mm-hmm. These are created by layering Madonna's vocals again and again. Here's an example of just one vocal. And adding a couple of them together... On its release, Secret was accompanied by a range of really good remixes. Bizarre Inc. and All Star are great because they sort of build on the original. But there was also a dramatic reworking by long-term collaborator with Madonna, Junior Vasquez. 
Junior's credits with Madonna go back to Vogue, where he got a special thanks. And there's long been a rumour that he worked on some of the early versions of perhaps songs like Erotica that would have ended up on that album. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that she brought him on board to remix the singles for the Bedtime Stories album. Conscious that this new direction might not win over her gay fans who like to listen to high-energy club, dance, house music, she got Junior to do reproductions of the songs, which really sort of gave them a much more clubby feel, perhaps similar to what the original Something's Coming Over Me song sounded like. His remixes sound quite dated today. I mean, they're nearly 30 years ago. And anything that sounds very current or very specific doesn't always age very well. But they're still really good, and you can imagine having a good old dance to them. What's really interesting is that he sped up the tempo. Let me play you one of his remixes first so you get to hear what it was like. making full use of the 909 drum machine here. But when it comes to the verse, Junior manages to completely rework the chord structure. Listen. And then we've got some house music tropes here for the piano. And of course the vocals are sped up, but it sounds really great, especially in the chorus. Listen here. Bit of a nod to Strikes You Sure Do, or so I thought, but actually that song came second. I guess it was just a vibe. But let's pay extra attention to the vocals and the way that they have been sped up. I mean, it sounds fine, but if you listen carefully, you can hear a kind of bleat, sheepy sound to it, and that's because of the way that it's been digitally sped up. Now, any of us of a certain age who grew up with records and tapes will know that if something plays faster, it's higher in pitch, and slower is lower in pitch. I would have thought that was obvious, but I imagine that people from a slightly younger generation might not be aware of that. Indeed, since the mid-90s, the technology has been there to speed up the sound and slow it down, i.e. to make the BPM, the tempo, different, but without changing the pitch. This is called time stretching. So let's listen to Madonna's raw vocal at regular speed. This is what it sounds like. Things haven't been the same since you came into my life. You found a way to touch my soul I'm never, ever, ever gonna let it go Time stretching is accomplished by adding to or subtracting the number of samples in the whole process. And this can sometimes make things like a vibrato change its frequency as well, giving that bleaty sound. Let me play you that same bit of vocal again, but sped up and time stretched. Things haven't been the same since you came into my life. 
You found a way to touch my soul. I'm never ever really ever gonna let here. it go. Secret was, of course, accompanied by a really stunning, high-contrast black-and-white video directed by Melody McDaniel. Melody had been known as a photographer, but had also done some short movies and, of course, video promos for bands like The Cranberries and Porno for Pyros. And it was those short movies that actually drew Madonna in. Once again, it was the rawness of her work which really captured Madonna's imagination. Speaking to Madonna biographer and friend of this podcast, Lucy O'Brien, Melody said, She was ready to go there. Madonna had a blonde, Jean Harlow look at the time. I wanted to combine that old classic Hollywood mix with the edginess of modern contemporary, but make it feel timeless. I was trying to think of something different, something real. It was awesome I got this break, but I was freaked out. I was jumping from young artists to working with an icon. I think she was really drawn to the rawness of my work. When she met with Madonna to give her inspirations and ideas, she showed photographs by the photographer Bill Burke. Google them and you'll see that he takes these high-contrast black-and-white images that really focus on, I guess, what you might call freaks of society. And that was echoed in what Melody created for the secret video, albeit all based in Harlem and largely around people of colour, something that was possibly inspiring Madonna given the background to the recording of this album and her life at this time. Melody's also a person of colour and possibly it was a way of mixing the two worlds. And it's interesting to note that this was the third video in a row where Madonna was practically the only white person on screen. The first day of shooting was on the 9th of September 1994, and it was on location Lennox Avenue in Harlem. Madonna had turned up with an entourage, and Melody had felt a little bit intimidated, especially as she didn't particularly like Madonna's look for the video, which was very tight, frizzy hair. It was a big look in 1994, especially in fashion circles, but Melody felt that it was too pretty didn't quite offer the contrast that she felt was needed. Eventually, she persuaded Madonna to change her look, and the reference that was given was Jennifer Jason Lee's look in the film Last Exit to Brooklyn. Google it, you'll see exactly what was achieved. However, the problems didn't end there. Madonna was expecting to be directed and told what to do. Melody, however, was much more used to creating reportage and wanted to observe what the characters and, of course, Madonna did. Eventually, they ironed out the problems and the resulting video is absolutely stunning. Madonna performs the song in a jazz club and we get to see all sorts of strange characters including drag queens and prostitutes. Everything we love, I guess. But it wasn't the only time during this campaign that Madonna was asked to change her image. Back in early August 1994, when she was doing the shoot for the album cover, she worked with photographer Paolo Reversi. They created a really ethereal look with Madonna washed out with pale eyebrows and floaty hair. It was the image that ended up on the cover of some versions of the Bedtime Story single, but it was originally intended to be the album cover. However, the record company objected. They said it was hard to read, that it didn't look like Madonna and not exactly the image they needed for what was effectively a comeback. In the end, the shoot was remounted, this time at Big Time Studios in Miami, and working with photographer Patrick de Machalier, Madonna created a set of photos which would go on to adorn the cover of Bedtime Stories and, of course, the single release of Secret. Now, this was the first song not to be premiered on the radio or MTV, but online. Madonna struck up a deal with AOL, 
to make sure that the first play of her new track happened on the internet. And she recorded a special message. And I've got it for you to hear now. Here we go. Hello all you cyberheads. Welcome to the 90s version of Intimacy. You can hear me. You can even see me. But you can't touch me. Do you recognize my voice? It's Madonna. Often imitated, but never duplicated. Or should I say often irritated? If you feel like it, you can download the sound file of my new single, Secret, from my new album, Bedtime Stories, which comes out next month. I just shot the video in New York and will be premiering an exclusive sample of it online. So check back soon. In the meantime, why don't you post me a message and let me know what you think of my new song. And by the way, don't believe any of those online imposters pretending to be me. There we have it, the very first Madonna podcast. Maybe that was her secret all along. Of course, it wouldn't be until the Drown World Tour in 2001 that we finally got to hear Secret perform live. It's a really great version. I've got some rare audio of Madonna rehearsing with guitarist Monty Pittman behind the scenes not long before they went on stage in one of the early contests and I'll also be discussing the live performance. That's a patron only piece of content. To become a patron and help support the running of this podcast, all you have to do is go to patron.podbean.com forward slash inside the group and make a donation and you get to hear all that extra content. That episode will be coming very soon. And then next week, we have an episode that centers on Madonna's very first single, Everybody. It's also the first anniversary of this podcast. So that felt like a nice way to celebrate it. I'll be taking a short break from the podcast after that as we head towards Series 3. I won't be gone for long. I'm just recharging my batteries. So rest assured, you've got plenty more to come. In the meantime, take care. Next week, we can dance, sing, get up and do your thing. For now, I'll leave you with a bit more secrets. Take care.